The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in His kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. So I need to make a deal with you today, and I'm hoping you would, would join me. I, I want to do a bit of a survey, and I'm looking for like real, honest information that's both going to be helpful, hopefully, to you and to me. So the only problem is, typically, when I ask you a question, I ask you to raise your hand. 89% of you will never raise your hand, no matter what I ask. How many human beings are in the room? And I'll get about a 3% response that I also am a human being. So I'm asking you to really engage me in this because I think it'll help uh, both of us today. And this is what I want to get to the heart of. I'm, I'm, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions that may indicate some of what may have changed in us over the last couple of years. And some of those changes might be for the good and some of them not for the good. So let me give you the first one and just um, try to be an, as open and honest as you can. If you have found yourself in recent months reading uh, something about what's happening in the world or seeing a news report of something tragic and difficult and noticing that you're not moved in the way that you typically would have been moved by it. Maybe you feel hardened or callous or overwhelmed by it. If you can recall an instance like that over the last couple of months, would you just raise your hand that you, you, you recall being in that place and not being moved in the same way? That's helpful. Um, and especially if you're in a caring profession, this one may matter to you. Um, that maybe the coworkers or the people around you or friends or family, if you found yourself in a situation where somebody shares or confides something in you uh, or is in the midst of a crisis, and as you engage them in that place, you find that you're not moving towards them or feeling what you normally would have felt, that maybe in the past you thought, I might have shed a tear, I might, there might have been um, a, a real movement towards them and somehow I don't feel quite that same response. If you've been in that kind of situation in recent months, would you just raise your hand? All right. So some of what we're seeing and you're seeing it in you and I've seen it in me is something that we call compassion fatigue, right? And part of what it means, the Bible calls it something different. I think the Bible refers to it more as a hardened heart. That what happened is these hearts that are really soft and pliable and at our best, right? I mean, we come out as kids, hopefully at our best, where we're just, we're moved when we see, anybody remember what it felt like to be, have one of your kids in the car as they would pass by a homeless encampment in our city? And your kids would ask like, that's where people live? Anybody remember an, uh, an interaction like that? And you realize like, these kids see it way, and they're, and they're like, we're going home? And they're, they're sleeping there tonight? And you'd have to go like, oh, my kids are exposing something in me that shifted. One of my big fears, I got a few of them, but one of them is that this experience of the last two years, that it's been so overwhelming for almost all of us that we've come to the place that we, we don't have the soft hearts we used to have. And what I would tell you is if you're a teacher, if you're a nurse, if you're a doctor, 
If you're in the medical profession, if you're a social worker, if your job is to care for people, it's almost impossible that you wouldn't be jaded by so much of this experience. There's almost no way to guard your heart enough that you could do this. And the, the text that we're in today, it's, there are a few things about this story. If you hadn't been with us in recent weeks, we're going through the story of Joseph. And to say it's a remarkable story is like such a crazy understatement because it's just filled with all these little surprises. And part of what we saw in, um, in the beginning of this story is that Joseph, um, uh, Joseph was a jerk. Um, he he kind of like, he, he had some things figured out and he was the favorite of his dad and he had a lot of things going for him, but he had zero self-awareness about how to deal with that, right? So some of you are amazing. Just don't tell people you're amazing. <laughs> Just be amazing. But if you tell them you're amazing, they will hate you. And that's what happened with Joseph's brothers. He was legitimately probably really amazing and really had a sense from a young age, like God's gonna do something awesome with me. Like, I'm, I'm gonna lead people, people respond to me. My dad loves me more than the rest of them. He gives me the best gifts. Like I've got some things going on. If he could have just held it in a little bit, he might've been slightly tolerable, but he wasn't. So his brothers literally were this close to killing him. They backed down from killing him and sold him as a slave instead. And he finds himself as a slave in a foreign land in Egypt. If you don't know, you don't remember, like Egyptians were like serious about slavery. They built an empire on it, right? Our nation knows a bit about this. Egyptians perfected it. They, were, they, they would, would, uh, would take people and use them to build symbols of their power and success. And Joseph was a cog in that machine. Now he goes from being a cog in that machine to being one of the best cogs, he becomes the slave that runs the house of Potiphar and then gets falsely accused by Potiphar's wife and gets thrown into prison. Now, at this point in my life, and if you've been through, maybe you've bounced back three or four times, I gotta tell you, if you go through two or three hard, hard things, it's really hard not to blame everything in your life on the people that messed you up. Any, anybody know what that feels like? And he goes, those people messed me up. I would have been way better off if it wasn't for them. My brothers hadn't sold me into slavery if this person hadn't falsely accused me. And here Joseph is in jail and he come, bounces back again and he becomes the head of the prison. Now, this is the point that I want to invite you into the story that I think the most unusual thing happens that I've ever seen. And to set this up, I need an honest survey. I will tell you the 9 a.m. lied, Okay. The 9 a.m. is filled with good people and liars, okay? <laughs> so I'm asking you a serious question. How many of you have spent any time, that could be an hour, in jail? How many of you have been to jail? Look around the room. Notice my hand is up as well, right? You don't pay your traffic ticket, HPD will put you in the slammer. They will put you in. And I mean, the toilet is in the middle of the room, people. Nobody wants to use that toilet and you're there. Eventually you're going to have to use it route If you have experience and maybe how many of you have been in a prison maybe on the other side I've gotten both sides of it, right as doing ministry and getting to love people our friend Bob leads an amazing ministry That you can connect with or you can do that you can see beautiful things happen I, I've seen God work in prisons, but I got to tell you if you work with prison wardens and guards 
Anybody just been like, they are the friendliest people around. <laughs> Bob, have you ever noticed the friendliest prison guard you've ever met and just thought, they are the kindest person I have ever known? You, you get to jail and you become hard, right? This, to me, there's a bunch of exceptional things about this story. But what we see in the chapter preceding the one we're in today in chapter 41 is that Joseph runs the prison and it tells us he was making his rounds to the cupbearer and the baker and he asked them the craziest question that no one else has ever asked someone in jail. He essentially says to them, why are you sad? He's the warden essentially of the prison and he wants to talk to them about their feelings. <laughs> How often do you think that happens in jail? I gotta tell this is, so we're gonna hear more about Joseph today, but this is what I want you to hear. The reason that Joseph thrived when God finally planted him again where he really ultimately wanted him is because Joseph did the work to have a soft heart. And if you and I have hard hearts, and people around us, they're sick, they get cancer, they live in homeless camps, they have family in Venezuela that they know, like they don't have food to eat, they, they, they live in these places of crisis and we're unmoved. And again, I'll tell you, given what's happened in the world, it makes sense that some of us are unmoved. So I wanna invite you in just a few practices and then we're gonna dive into the text. If you want to fight what I believe I need to fight and you need to fight, which I'll call compassion fatigue, there are a few things you can do to do it. I'm gonna give you three suggestions, and here's the first. Focus on self-care. Know that there's nothing selfish about taking care of yourself. So whatever you need to do, exercise ought to be a part of that, no matter who you are. A, a regimen, sleep, rest. I, I used to think people that napped were lazy, now I think they're the most beautiful people in the world because I want to be one of them forever, right? So, I mean, our, our Mexican brothers and sisters, they knew siestas. They're just like, we're happier, we make better food than you. Why? Siestas, that's why we do. That's, it's the main reason. And just, if, if you would take time to journal, if you would be willing uh, to engage just basic practices that, that give you joy. Any of you have a bathtub that's just a sanctuary, like you get into that bathtub, use it, use it. If not, buy one. I'm gonna find a way to have a real bathtub, right? And you get into it and you just. In the world that we live in, if you don't take care of yourself, I promise you nobody else will. It's nobody else's job. It's your job primarily, and that's the way you bring the best you to the world. Then secondly, and it's in keeping with it, would you please be ruthless in everything that it takes to reduce the kind of stress in your life that is debilitating? There are things about your job, there are things about, now again, some of you are like, the only way I can do that is to give away my kids, so I don't know, <laughs> like, no one will take them. I don't know what to do. There, there may be an alternative to just giving them away, right? And that means they don't play every sport. It, mean, it means you can't do everything. And you have to say, you know what? This is actually what I'm capable of, 
because I'm not actually a machine. And I'll remind you, I, you know, years ago we bought this massage chair and I thought it was really fun putting it together and you got to read the whole instruction manual so you get it right. And I'll never forget reading the massage chair instructions and it just said like, you can't run this, this massage chair all the time. Like, it will break. If you just keep running it and running it and you just sit in the massage chair all the time, like it's gonna break and you're the same way, you're not a machine that can just keep going and going and going. You need a Sabbath, a day to rest and to breathe. And here's the most important part. You ready for the most important one? You ready? Have fun. If in the middle of this pandemic and all of it, if, you, if the thing you've zeroed out in your life is fun, you're gonna be a miserable person with a really hard heart. And so whatever it takes for you to have fun, and for some of us, that's harder. We've experienced real loss and real pain, and it's hard to reconnect with that part of us. But part of the way that you know you're healthy, and for me, it's really clear, like if, if everybody's gone and I tell my Amazon device to start playing music, I know if I'm in a good place because I'm dancing all day. Anybody else like that? You just find yourself, some of the rest, of you, how many of you are never gonna dance? You, you need to dance. Like, like there's, your body is made to want to move in that direction. And so whether you take a class or you do it at home or you just are very white like me and you look awful while you do it, just do it anyway. Because your body literally, all these endorphins get going and it's a really beautiful thing. And then lastly, and then we'll get to the text. If you wanna keep your heart soft or take it from being hard to soft, it's, it's time to take an inventory. And this is what I mean. Um, you can do this a lot of ways. You can start, and this is, this is painful but healing. You can start with just a list of the traumas that you've endured in your life. And just start to go down. And then all of a sudden, this is what's gonna happen. At the very least, you're gonna get to the end of it and be like, I should be kinder to myself. Like, like I've been through some things. I went through this a few years ago where I made a list, right? And I literally, I couldn't even... I realized on the way there, I wasn't even close to naming them all. Like I, on the way to the therapist I was seeing for the first time, I passed a hospital where, you know, I, I held a mother who had just been, her son had been shot and his blood was all over me. Like, oh, I left that one out. Like, that's kind of a thing, right? And it just the list kept going and going and going. Take an inventory. And part of what we all have to do is give ourselves some grace and offer some healing. And please, see a counselor, talk to a friend. Um, and then just to assess, where are there places that I've held on to anger or unforgiveness? Now, this is the part of Joseph's story as well that amazes me. Remember in this last part of the chapter, Joseph told the cupbearer, when you get out, this is what I want you to do. Now, if you're stuck in prison and you're gonna hear it, he's been there for a long time and somebody's getting out and you've been done wrong by these people. Is there anybody else like me that's like, when you leave, uh, this is what I want you to do to Potiphar's wife, right? Anybody else have revenge fantasies or just me? <laughs> Nobody else, just three of us that are honest, like real revenge, like I'm gonna get the people that got me, right? And if I was Joseph, right? They get out and I'm like, hey, write a letter to my dad and tell him my brothers are losers and liars, right? And they sold me and I'm alive. Like, get the word out, I'm here. He just didn't. Something, he decided to let it go. Because this is what I got to tell you. In the same way you ever see those commercials where it's like, did you work with asbestos? And pretty much if you worked with asbestos, what's going on with you now? 
You got, yeah, meso- whatever kind of cancer it is, right? And I just got to tell you, if you hold on, on to anger and resentment, you're going to have spiritual cancer. It's going to be impossible to love people really well. And you're like, well, it, that's a long time ago. And I'm just telling you, you hold on to it. It's going to come back to get you. What I love about Joseph is apparently he decided to forgive people that didn't deserve to be forgiven. And you and I have got to learn to do the same. So now let's dive into the text. In chapter 41, this is what it tells us. And it starts, and in the Hebrew it says it really powerfully. He says, two years later, and literally in the Hebrew it means after two years of days. They're emphasizing that every day, this was a grind. Hebrew scholars would tell us probably this two years was since the cupbearer and the potiphar, uh, cupbearer and uh, the baker were released. The baker was killed. The cupbearer was returned to his job. Um, He'd probably been in prison a total of 12 years. I was down in the can for a whole two and a half hours. Didn't like it at all, right? 12 years. He grinds it out day by day. And this is what it tells us. And I'll just summarize this part because I preached too long at the beginning. I'm sorry. Um, Pharaoh had a dream. And Pharaoh had this one you might think like I just ate too much Mexican food. But he, he wakes up and he's like, um, he remembers the first part of the dream. And the first part of the dream where there were seven cows and they were big, fat, healthy cows, like really healthy cows. Now, remember in the ancient world and really in most of the rest of the world, people and animals being fat is like the thing. That's what you want to be. Like you, when, when you go to Africa, sometimes you'll be alarmed because our friends there will often see you and they're like, oh, you're looking fat. And you're like, you want to fight? Like what, what's the... And they're saying, like, you look like you're not going to die. Like, you're, you're, you're rich. Like, you've eaten some food. Like, eating food's a good thing. And these cows were fat. And it tells us, literally, like, the, like if you go see the rodeo champion cows, that's what these probably would have looked like. Which, by the way, is anybody else excited about the rodeo? I got my boots on today because we're going to do a fundraiser. There's two things I'm most excited about. Well, there's more than two things. But two things I'm really excited about right now. One is that... Uh, the rodeo's coming up, and two is that we're going to head back, and I get to lead a team back to the border of Venezuela for the first time in the last two years, and we're going to be loving on our teams there and finding ways to care for them and move forward and the amazing ministry that needs to happen there. And in order to fund more of that, we're going to do two fundraisers that I want to let you know. If you want to join me for the rodeo, we've got a suite for Kane Brown. We got barbecue in the suite. It's going to be a blast. And you can come here, Kane Brown. If you're not a Kane Brown fan on March 9th, my favorite show apart from George Strait at the rodeo is Chris Stapleton on March 17th. So you can go to the website and get tickets. All the proceeds go to help feed people in Venezuela. So back to the fat cows. The fat cows were seven of them. There were seven skinny cows. And in his dream, the seven skinny cows devoured, right? It would be impossible, devoured the fat cows. He wakes up. He has another dream. And in the second dream, there are these stalks of corn, seven of them, and they're healthy and plump and look delicious, like you'd want to put butter on them and eat them. Then there's seven scrawny ones, scorched by the wind, unedible, and the unedible ones devour the healthy ones. So what happens in this is that we get to a place where Pharaoh wakes up and he's like, I had these dreams. I kind of think they mean something. They're troubling me. So he brings all the wise people that he had in his cabinet and everybody else to figure it out. Nobody knew what to do. 
And then all of a sudden the cupbearer um, steps in. And the cupbearer says, hey, I, I'm, I'm reminded of something I did wrong. Now, you gotta be careful with Pharaoh and when you do something wrong, he'll throw you in jail or kill you. But he says, hey, I, once there was this Pharaoh, when Pharaoh was angry with his servants, he put me in the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard. And one night we both had a dream. The dreams were unique and their interpretations were also unique. And there was a young Hebrew there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. And when we told him our dreams, he interpreted them for us. So you can imagine what's happening here. And there are similar themes in other places in the Bible where the people that God has his hands on, they will be able to help you understand what's happening in your dreams. Um, now, all of your dreams don't have meaning. And if you have dreams that create chaos in your life or make you afraid or make everybody afraid, I gotta tell you, those didn't come from God. Like, God, God will give you dreams that are to help you along the way and on your path, not to freak you out. So if, you, if it's just because you watched, you know, Friday the 13th and you had a bad, bad dream, that's not a God dream. Um, but from time to time, God will kind of give you a sense of like, hey, you might have something happening in your life. Like something may be changing. And I would say particularly in this season when they didn't have a farmer's almanac and they didn't have environmental scientists to help them understand what was happening in the world and they didn't have people to do economic forecasting, God steps into Pharaoh and says, hey, this might be what's happening. And Joseph comes along and Joseph leans in and says, hey, let me tell you what this dream means. So he tells him in verse 27, these seven thin and ugly cows that came up after them are also seven years. He says, the, the, these seven years re represent years of famine or years of feasting. He says, as I told Pharaoh, God is showing Pharaoh what he means to do and what will come. There will be seven years of great abundance throughout all the land of Egypt. But after that, there will be seven years of famine. Whatever the abundance was once enjoyed will be totally forgotten because the famine will consume the land. So Joseph gets this sense that the dream is about seven years where the crops grow and they have all they need and more, and seven years where they don't. And so he knows right away, all we gotta do is store up in those seven years the extra and we'll have enough to get through the next seven years. And so he tells Pharaoh, somebody should do that. And you know what Pharaoh says? Now this is where you gotta get to this point in the story and just acknowledge the unlikeliness of this. Pharaoh says, after he consults with the wise people in his cabinet, you're the guy to do it. Now imagine, this is, what, this is literally what he says um, in verse 44, right? So, but Pharaoh had one more declaration. And Pharaoh says to Joseph, I'm Pharaoh, and I decree that no one may do anything in the land of Egypt without your consent. Now that's power, right? You gotta imagine, like, how do you go from being a Hebrew in Cana to being a slave to being in jail, and you go straight from jail to be the second most powerful person person in the the largest economy in the world? And Joseph does. And in the midst of it, and this is the hard part of the story for me, and maybe it is for you, or maybe it's encouraging for you. It's both, depending on how I wake up from day to day. Joseph's training ground to become the second most powerful person in Egypt was suffering. It was enduring hard things. 
that schooled Joseph for the job that he was about to do. Now, I don't know about you, but if you've been through a few hard things, most of us come through a place that we resent it. I often tell Chris and I sit around and just like, you think about if I'd have done this, this, and this, I could have had the easiest life ever. And every now and then it occurs to me, maybe God didn't want me to have the easiest life ever. And maybe the thing that actually brings my best gifts to the world are the challenges that you have endured and that I have endured. I'm telling you, I don't think Joseph could have done the job ahead if not for those things. And so I wonder as we come to communion, I just wanna lead you through a simple prayer and I just want to invite you to ask some of the questions that we ponder today. Is it possible that your best days are ahead? Maybe it's, it's like that, uh, what's the Hamilton song, I always get it wrong, I'm not, it's the one about not gonna miss my shot, but it's not, I'm not, what, how, I'm not, I'm not giving up my shot, giving? Not throwing away my shot, thank you. I knew it was there on the tip of my tongue. Why can you not remember Hamilton when you listen to it over and over and over again? And maybe you need, like Joseph, he just knew, like, when I get my shot, I'm not throwing it away. And when Pharaoh called, 12 years is a long time to wait, day after day in jail, 12 years. And when Pharaoh finally calls, he's ready. And so I don't know what God has next for you. My sense is that we similarly live in a time of crisis, that God wants to use each of us in really powerful and unique ways. But my hope and prayer is that, one, we would be in a healthy place like Joseph so that we could do that. And then when that day comes, we'd be faithful to follow through. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.